Podcast Podcast. Mystery fans, David Flora and Dave Stecco, in association with The Unexplained and whatever beer is left in the fridge, is proud to present Blurry Photo. Hear about the world famous Bigfoot. Experience the alien excavator Grave Digger. Special appearance by the best of the Northwest, winner of the 2013 Miss Cryptid Contest, Bat Squatch. Hold on to your earbuds, this episode is going to be revolutionary. Like us on Facebook, and this episode is free, free, free. Saturday, 2 p.m., Sunday, 3 p.m., or whenever the f*** you download it, it's radical. Hey everybody, I'm oh, David Flora. I'm David Stecco. And this is Blurry Photos. <laughs> Getting down in the mud with mysteries. We're crushing the unexplained. <laughs> we could do this for an hour. Oh my god, we really could. Uh, I hope that you are all having a terrific week. Yeah. Oh man, it's uh, it's gotten hot here. Yep, finally. Finally. You say fi- I say finally as though I'm happy about it. Right. I'm not. It sounded like you were happy about it. No, I'm not. I, I hate it. I'm, it makes me furious. Yeah, it's terrible. The worst part about it is that we can't have any kind of air conditioning on while we record. Yeah. So it makes uh, too much noise. Thanks, <laughs> microphones. Thanks, Obama. So we're uh, we're sitting here like a couple of pigs in a, in a roaster. We're sweating balls, buddy. <laughs> sweating balls. So, uh, uh, Merry Christmas to you guys. Uh, yeah. We're probably losing pounds for you. So yeah. Well, in, the, in the end, by yeah, me. it's, it's a win-win. It. You know what? We're not suffering for no reason. We are bringing you an amazing red, white, and blue magnificent episode. That's right. The eagle is going to be flying and delivering this straight to your ears. <laughs> <laughs> uh We're talking today about Revolutionary War yeah, uh, myths and legends. and Really nice uh, 4th of July Independence Day. Yeah, stories. Um, yeah. Now, this probably isn't as, as cool as like myths and legends might make it sound. These are more like stories that you've heard or uh, maybe misconceptions of, of early American history. Certainly not as exciting as the movie Independence Day. Correct, correct. <laughs> Which was actually oh. a documentary. Although... Uh, uh, I do believe uh, um, Sam Adams did punch the king in the face. <laughs> yeah, said, that's true. Welcome thee to America. <laughs> did, they, did they say they probably not by then, right? Yeah, no. by Well, I've already ruined that. Uh, so He was wearing pantaloons in a codpiece. <laughs> this whole, everything, it all happened like 600 years ago. It doesn't matter. Was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That joke will never die. No, it's because I'm ignorant. So we, we've uh, we've gathered together some some facts from historians and teachers and books and articles and stuff that uh, hopefully aren't blinded by some biased patriotism. Yeah, there is a, a remarkable. The reason we we came up with this there's a remarkable amount of disinformation or just lack of not of understanding of the actual Revolutionary War. Yeah, yeah. I mean, enough so that it was really it was interesting. It was fun to research, and it was really cool. It was cool. So our gift to you is, as we have so many times in the past, armed you to be that irritating prick at the barbecue. (laughs) You get to be that person where you go, um, actually, uh, yeah, the French were very, um, uh, pivotal in the American Revolution. They played a very large part. Um, so. You shouldn't make fun of them like that. Um, so there you go. And you know that hot dog? Do you know what goes in those things? I mean, the nitrates alone are really bad for you. 
You should just stay home and re- listen to our podcast. Stay home, eat your kale. <laughs> yeah. Listen to our podcast. We're, we are, we're actually just making you worse people. Gosh. So, uh, so where, do, where should we... <laughs> golly. Even, golly, you guys. I think I'm going to start. I'm, Kick I'll, it off. I'll start us off here with something that was brought up to us uh, in the not too distant past by our friend Bob the Painter. Oh, Bob. This is something he brought to us through email saying that uh, actually Delaware was not an original colony. And uh, I, I found some information about this. I, oh, I good. Was able we to look we it said up. we were going to look it up and then we did. Yeah. So that makes us good I'm people. So, I'm sorry if I sound surprised by that. <laughs> you know what, though? But. I'm going to add in a monster truck rally sound <laughs> okay. at, at some point in here. Well, probably multiple, but yeah. now now that has become... Yeah. That's added this into the quiver. The, this is the America episode. <laughs> so, yeah, be ready for that. It's Delaware. Delaware, mm-hmm. this is interesting. Uh, it wasn't uh, really ever a colony. It was always designated the lower counties on the Delaware. It's part of uh, Pennsylvania. Huh. Actually, had its own assembly. Uh, but those fell under the authority of the governor of Pennsylvania until it declared itself an independent state in August of 1776. So, at- Which is brilliant because everyone kind of had their hands full at that point. No one was going to try to <laughs> rein in Delaware. You're, you're going to do what? Oh, I'm fine. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, give you, me that musket. You win this one, Delaware. <laughs> So at one point that you you have uh, twelve colonies in 1775 and then thirteen states in 1776. Boosh. Fun, huh? So uh, so that's De- that's a story of Delaware for you, not being a colony but uh, becoming a state. Check that off your misinformation list, America. <laughs> so let's uh, let's stay on the the colonies, yeah, and stuff. That's a nice uh, chronological position. But let's head up to. New Amsterdam. Oh, that's funny. I don't know of any place called New Amsterdam. Well, that's because you know it as New York. As taught to us by They Might Be Giants in the song Istanbul, not Constantinople. Thank you. So, not so much on how it became New York as opposed to New Amsterdam, whatever. Uh, It's about Island of Manhattan. Uh Manhattan was uh, was a prize that was sought after uh, by the Dutch and the British because it's a nice trading spot. Yeah. It's a good port. And... um, it, the island itself, it was involved in the Second and Third Anglo-Dutch Wars, uh, which if you have time to... Uh, Ever heard of them? Yeah. Because we hadn't. <laughs> if you have time to look up the Anglo-Dutch Wars, uh, don't. But My great-great-great-grandfather was a hero of the Second Anglo-Dutch War. <laughs> he was instrumental in stealing Manhattan <laughs> from the Dutch. And then they stole it back from him. Dutch hater. But... Um, there were many theaters in the Anglo-Dutch War, uh, and one of them was the island of Manhattan. Now, after the uh, Brits gained control of it in the Third War, Dutch and British elites began to intermarry there, and they formed what? a yeah, and they formed a new governing hierarchy, referred to as Knickerbockers. I heard of them. So I thought that was just an. I mean, this isn't. This has bupkis to do with American Revolution, but I just saw Knickerbockers, and I, I was like. You know what? That's that's a name that's in the world that uh, doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's so it's cursed a basketball team for its entire life, right? And that uh, so that's that's where that comes from. That's interesting. I thought that's awesome. How about uh, how about the thought that uh, King George the Third was just this horrid tyrant and 
the American peoples rose up and overthrew. Oh yeah, this. that that his that his whole raison d'etre was just to keep his boot on the throat of liberty. Right, right. Well, probably it was a little bit, but he, it's not like he gave it that much thought. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I'll tell you what. It's uh, a lot of that portrayal is inaccurate. Correct. At least at first. Yeah. Parliament. That was the real terror. Mm-hmm. That was plaguing uh, uh, the colonies, uh, having the majority of its members uh, as inconsistent, greedy, and short-sighted as can be. It's so good to hear that we've come so far from that. Right. Thank you. Because <laughs> we're all just thinking it, and you just have the bowels to say it. I don't care who I hurt. <laughs> <laughs> or who's listening. Well, we have three different congressmen listening, and I'm talking to them directly right now. We are upset. <laughs> Y'all need to straighten up and <laughs> get, out of, get out of here. Meow, meow, meow. So King George III was only in his early 30s when the Americans started the revolution. Yep. Uh, that's, you know, not... People think of him, I think, as an older... All kings are always old, gray-haired men. Gray-haired, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, it was the powdered wig era. Yep. That was why. He's he's in his early, early 30s. For perspective, Washington was uh, 43 around the time this was happening. He was in his early... So he had like six years left to live at that time. He, he was he was already uh, knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door yep. there. One foot in a grave, one foot on a banana peel. So, um... King George III, uh, mostly sane and considered a kind-hearted ruler at this time. So while taxes were being created by Parliament, including the Molasses Act, the Sugar Act, the Stamp Act, uh, King George eventually was able to repeal them at his own request, except for the 1773 Tea Act, which you may have heard about. In protest to that, the, the Tea Act, Ship captains in New York and Philadelphia were persuaded, and I'm going to throw some quotations around persuaded, to sail back to England. Uh, Charleston, the port of Charleston, the tea rotted on the docks, and get this, 50 Boston colonists dumped tea into the harbor. What? That's wasteful. I know. This apparently was the old straw that that broke the uh, young camel's back. Because after that, King George was uh, a righteous arse. Mm -hmm. Uh, He passed what was known as the Intolerable Acts, and any goodwill that he had was quickly forgotten by the colonists. And yeah, he he then put his well-polished boot summarily on the throats of the, the colonists. Now, what's interesting, uh, this kind of dovetails into another not well-understood part of the, the history of this of the Revolutionary War, is the taxes that were levied by England up to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, they were actually a response to the request for British aid to fight in what was called the French and Indian War. Yeah. It was a hugely expensive war. I mean, and at this point in history, France and England just never stopped fighting. Right. No matter where they are, no matter what it is, no matter who... They're talking about they will fight about it, and so I say, I you know like again air quotes about the French and Indian War. It makes it sound that it was the French fighting Indians, but it wasn't. It no. was England and France going at it all over the world, yeah, simultaneously. And the English had actually allied themselves with all of the important Native American tribes. Almost, mm-hmm. almost all of them were allied with the British. So you have. These outposts, these British outposts, mm-hmm. which, because at this point, there's no difference between a British outpost right. and an American outpost. It's all the same thing. And they are being raided by, so you have these colonial outposts. They're being raided by the French. They're being raided by ally 
Indian tribes. Mm-hmm. So these outposts, these uh, these colonies request uh, military aid from the king, which he provides. Sure. He's like, sounds like you got yourselves a French problem. <laughs> We're really good at this. So they send over troops. But this this kicks up this this huge kerfuffle where they are fighting proxy wars all over the world almost. Yeah. And that is extraordinarily expensive. And so the the taxes, the molasses act, these things, they are a response to that. They're a means of paying for shipping over a huge army yeah. to fight. Now, granted, the English probably would have done it anyway, because they're always spoiling for a fight with the French. But the it was Parliament a, is greedy. They're mm-hmm. they're wanting to find any way they can get more revenue for themselves. Right. And so but it was it was as a response to and I've in some of the research I saw, uh people would argue that there would never have been any of these taxes had we not asked for that help. I don't believe that because yeah. this was just one theater right. of a huge seven year war. And so those taxes I think probably would have been leveled levied regardless because they needed money to pay for this war, and they have the new world, this this place that's supposed to be made of money. Mm-hmm. And you have colonies that are that are uh, trapping furs, they're producing goods. You know, they should be paying for these things according yeah. to the crown. Yeah, and along with the taxes that were levied, of course, they didn't get a say in Parliament, which is why they got angry over the taxation without representation you know which Never heard of it that that adds up uh, as well we're not saying that the revolution was unfounded at all but uh the king did try his best to uh work with the colonies at that point until they dumped uh you know the most prized possession in england yeah you can you can push an englishman pretty far but mess but, with his tea yeah mess with his tea you got yourself a fight on your hands even if it's now an Irish accent for no good reason. My apologies. The glove has come off. <laughs> You've got something of a fight on your hands now, my friend. Pardon me, uh, if you don't mind, <laughs> I would like to scuffle with you now. <laughs> Prepare yourself for a slapping. <laughs> What's already said, hey? hey. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like they got to waste in our tea then. I guess we teach an animal lesson. Oh, you're trying to throw it back in our face, isn't it? Is that what you're doing, bruv? <laughs> I don't even know what to call you, you bunch of Yankees. <laughs> Yanking your wankers, are you? Is that what you're doing? <laughs> we suck. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about the Boston Massacre. Yeah, okay, so we've got things happening now. Now now things are happening. You've got assumed beer magnate Sam Adams <laughs> on one side. He's got his, his Pawtucket Patriots all lined up in a row. Yeah, the Sons of Liberty. He's got yeah. a group that he's leading. And he he's... Uh, if, if there were a, a disease for wanting to fight people, he would he would have contracted it and yeah. he would be on his deathbed right now with it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, he just wants... He wants to fight. He wants war. He wants, right. he wants this stuff to happen. So on March 5th, 1770, the story goes, there, there were British guards that were uh, standing outside the Boston Customs House and they were confronted by a mob of, of angry Bostonians mm-hmm. and the guards just opened up fire and, and just killed in cold blood. Yeah. Now that's that's the story, right? right. Which well, is just that it's horse shit. <laughs> what happened was that this this mob came uh, looking for a fight after insulting the guards to no effect. Right. There was and to make this t- absolutely crystal clear, Sam Adams, in addition to brewing mediocre beer, whips this crowd up of his uh, Sons of Liberty, mm-hmm. and their their job was to go. They, their plan 
was to go and get shot and at. And get shot at, yeah. They wanted to create an incident. A and spark, if you will. Yeah, that was their plan. They Ignite like, the if we powder go there keg and that then, is the American resolute spirit. Oh, yeah. Eagle sound. Fight. Oh. <laughs> Fight against the impression. And Let I, that eagle soar. So high. Turkey at that time, I think. Right, yeah, it was but. a turkey. Uh, and, and, you know, so, yeah, I, I think, first of all, so that was that was their plan. Even if the initial narrative was correct, it's what they wanted to happen. <laughs> yeah. Even though that's yeah. not what, what they ended up getting, what they wanted was a massacre. Yeah. So they start throwing gravel-laced snowballs at the, at, the, at the guards. Everybody in Boston knows only a candy ass throws a sissy snowball. You got to put something inside there. <laughs> 30 snowballs are for assholes. What are you from, Dorchester? I can't even do it. I didn't even do a Boston accent there. I can't do one, so... You okay? You need another beer? Yeah, that's my problem, I think. Uh, when uh, when the snowballs didn't work, they started chucking stones and bottles. They started <laughs> chucking sticks. Remember, there's just three guardsmen, and they're just <laughs> sitting there taking all of this abuse, having shit thrown at them, and they haven't done anything. Right. They're just sitting there taking it. And then they have oyster shells thrown at them as yeah. well. So they call for backup. They yep. get uh, they get they get on the radio. Commander, <laughs> they get a commander over there. They get uh, quite a few more guardsmen. Uh, just you know, in case things get out of hand, because it looked like they were getting out of hand. Uh, yeah, things were out of hand. Once <laughs> once one group of people is pelting three people with with bricks with and oysters, oyster shells. Yeah, what's the matter with you? Give them the oysters. Dumb. Why don't you throw the oysters at them, there, Polly? <laughs> oh, I don't know. No, I'm not gonna do that. So they've they now have uh, guardsmen, a small small cadre of guardsmen getting crap thrown at them, and suddenly a shot rings out, and who we'll we'll never know. We'll never know if uh, a guard shot or if it was just a random instigating pistol fired from the the angry mob. But the soldiers open fire, thinking they were being fired upon. Yep. Uh, the soldiers open fire. Killed three men, uh, wounded eight. Uh, although some sources will have it at uh, six, six men were killed and five were wounded. Uh, but the majority of the sources that we found say that three men were killed, including Crispus Attucks, first man to die in the Revolutionary War. Oh, unless you count the the kid that was killed a few weeks earlier. I don't. Then no, neither does history. Okay. <laughs> you have to be eighteen to be in history. <laughs> That's the cutoff. The soldiers were were brought to trial, and they were pretty assuredly going to be hanged. Mm -hmm. But they got some representation by John Adams. Ever heard of him? And they uh, were acquitted. Yeah. He saved them, uh, basically, by using logic. Yeah. He's like, they were getting crap thrown at them. They they heard a shot. They defended themselves. They were were... feared for their lives. So John Adams... One of the the founders of our country mm-hmm, mm-hmm. defended the, successfully uh, yeah. the yeah the British guards. So that's pretty fun. That's an interesting fun fact about how that went down. Yeah, because uh, that famous engraving made by our friend Paul Revere shows the uh, the British guards firing into the crowd, and that that circulated through the colonies after that, and and really stirred up the the hornet's nest. Yeah. So uh, Sam Adams. Got what he wanted. He got exactly what he wanted. Yep, he sure did. We've been drinking crappy beer ever since as a result. I don't like Sam Adams beer. Nor do I. Hmm. But if Sam Adams wants to sponsor us, I will happily drink it. <laughs> Ball's in your court, Sammy. 
You want us on board? You want this media empire to help you? You gotta help us get drunk. Uh, speaking of old Paul Revere, the classic uh, tale of, of Paul Revere, yeah. the Midnight Ride, yeah. has him riding through the countryside shouting, the British, British are, are coming. coming, the British are coming. Uh, not true. What? Sort of true. Oh, okay. He was not alone in his ride, or in his task, at least, and he was not shouting, the British are coming. He did ride on the night of April 18th, 1775. Uh, his mission was to warn of Redcoats coming to arrest Sam Adams and John Hancock in Lexington, Massachusetts. But, as with a, a night mission with a lot of British patrols wandering around, secrecy was key, so he was not shouting at any point. On a different route with the same task was William Dawes. He was also going around to houses alerting uh, the militia of the impending invasion by sea. Mm -hmm. Once they reached Lexington and, and warned Sam Adams and uh, John Hancock, they were both joined by Dr. Samuel Prescott, on the way to Concord, going to alarm more militia. Yep. But on the way there, they, they were stopped by a British patrol. And What's uh, all they said, exactly. eh? Exactly. <laughs> oh, what, what do you think you're doing? It's midnight. You're out on your horse. Having a bit of a wander, are we? It's not warm enough to be out for a midnight ride now, isn't it? <laughs> I'd like to uh, ask you a couple of questions about your nocturnal uh, activities, <laughs> activities. as it were. So as it were. What are the three of you doing out here, bruv? So Prescott, the doctor, had his horse jump a wall and escaped into the woods. <laughs> uh, Dawes escaped as well, but then he fell off his horse at some point. Didn't make it to Concord. Prescott made it to Concord and was able to continue the, the rabble-rousing. Uh, Revere, however, was captured and held for a, a little while, but yep. then uh, was released when there was there was this great series of events where he he's like telling the uh, the British guards, "Oh, everybody knows that you, that uh, British uh, uh, redcoats are coming. You're a British redcoat. You better be careful. You're going to get shot. And you know when we get to town, you better watch out. I'm telling you right now." And then when they start getting near town, one of the Centuries in town starts ringing a bell real crazy and, and there's movement and stuff and the, the British guards kind of get spooked by yeah. it. They let <laughs> Paul Revere go and they take off saying, oh, okay, well, <laughs> we're going to just alert our, our commanding officer then, eh? You, you all go on back. Stay out of trouble then. It's too late <laughs> to be out then, isn't it? on your own recognizance just this once. While we go the opposite direction uh, it's time, time for us to uh, reconnoiter that uh, forest <laughs> glen over there. <laughs> so apparently uh, the saying that, that Paul Revere was telling people was the regulars are coming out. I mean, the oh, British yeah. regulars. As opposed to the British are coming because uh, people consider themselves British. Yep. That, that wouldn't make any sense to them whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that system to trigger the militia uh, readiness was developed... I guess the term for it was alarm and muster. <laughs> okay. You know, shock and all. Um, <laughs> shock and all is way better. We've learned a lot. So that's uh, that's what happened with Paul Revere. Now, what about people's uh, state of mind with fighting in a revolution? Oh, yeah. Well, the um, as, as we all know, every single one of these people consider themselves to be an American in their hearts and were sick and tired of the oppressive yoke of the British monarchy just, you know, leaning on them constantly. False. Yeah, no. <laughs> Monster trucks out. 
<laughs> false, false, false. <laughs> Nobody gave a fuck. <laughs> no, these these people, they're colonists. Their greatest concern is not dying each winter. Right. They're building communities. They're they're farming land. They have much more pressing issues yeah. than than governmental issues. This was a city slicker issue. <laughs> We'll let the learned men take care of this. Yeah, I the mean, doctor and the lawyer. Yeah, and they're honestly like this is this is a problem for people who live in cities and who are dealing with this. But the the average British citizen living in the New World, in the rural areas, they just want to farm, man. Yeah, they got bigger so, fish to fry. Somewhere around a third of the colonists still supported the crown, mm-hmm. uh, and another third were pretty much neutral in the cat. They they didn't care one way or the other. They just wanted to stay out of it. Yeah. Purportedly, at the end of the war, somewhere around the uh, the figure of 62,000 loyalists left America, and they they estimate that around 46,000 of them went to Canada, 9,000 went to the Caribbean, and 7,000 went back to England. Yeah. They didn't want it. They didn't at, need it. At that time, that's a pretty sizable chunk of humanity. Yeah. For for the new world. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of people who just weren't down with the the revolution. They didn't they were loyal subjects of the crown. Yeah. That's uh, that's a lot of people uh, getting out of, of the old colonies there. So so now amongst those that stood their ground and mm-hmm. fought bravely, the American soldiers fighting a guerrilla tactic against the large and stodgy idiot army of England, using their wile and cunning and knowledge of the forests to, as every movie tells us, whittle away at the British officers until they had nothing left. False. False, false, false. Sort of false. Mostly false. (laughs) Like 98% false. Yeah. Americans did utilize some guerrilla warfare tactics in in, uh, many of their fights. Yeah. Just exactly as much as the British British did. did. Yeah. Yeah. As we just said, the the British were allied with many of the natives. Yeah. And uh, the natives, who were friggin' masters at (laughs) guerrilla warfare... (laughs) <laughs> or at least not standing in a line in a field and, and shooting at you. And you know, and that's and that's a funny thing that at this time we have this this image of you know the the redcoats you know marching in their their strict formations and forming these firing lines and and how dumb that was. And our our forefathers saw the futility of it and used right. these ambush tactics just to destroy them because what they're not standing in front of us. There's a reason Britain had an empire. <laughs> yeah. Their army was one of the best, if not the best, on the planet. Right. Technologically, yeah. uh, tactically. They were awesome at killing people. They were really good at it. They yeah. weren't idiots. They weren't a bunch of like doddering fools just marching through the forest wondering about how they're going to get all these stains out of their trousers. And why does, why does Hackthorn keep disappearing <laughs> from the back of the line? Yeah, wasn't Huntington there just two <laughs> seconds ago? I I believe I was part of a larger column when we left the fort. Mm. I can't be sure. And I don't want to raise too much of a fuss. Uh, just perhaps they had different orders. <laughs> Tuttle Smith was just <laughs> beside me. Tuttle Smith. <laughs> um, but yeah, the British to, to understand this, it's un, it's important to understand the musket, which was revolutionary and crappy. Yeah. I mean. It had a maximum operational range of about 100 yards, mm-hmm. but you had to be within, you know, a, a much shorter distance. And I don't know specifically what, but yeah, I probably I think like that, 30 yards. Yeah, or something. that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. 30 to 40 yards to fire accurately. Right. 
And so the best way to use a musket is the way the British were using them. You line up a bunch of guys and you create this wall of lead. Yeah. And you just hurl it down range. Yeah. And, and you hit a bunch of guys and that's how they work. They weren't. And then you switch out for, for fresh. Yeah. yeah. You've got a second row while the first one takes 20 seconds to reload. And the other thing is the British know this. I mean, like you said, technologically, they're the best army on earth. And so they use bayonets brutally. Yeah. They, they know, know exactly. That. Yeah. And so if you have five guys in an ambush and they shoot at you, they don't look for you. They run at you. They know they have 20 seconds to put steel into your rib cage. Yeah. And they know there's not there's nothing you can do about it. And so the idea that these small groups of of militiamen or farmers would gather together and just decimate units of of, of British soldiers is completely false. Yeah. Uh, the and the only times in the initially in the war, the the uh, American the the colonial revolutionaries they got their asses kicked everywhere. Oh yeah. And it wasn't especially in, in open field warfare. Yeah. Standing in lines. It wasn't until. Uh, colonial uh, revolutionary forces started adopting British strategic and military discipline and, and tactics right. that they started winning wars. Now, they also uh, had some technological advances of their own, mm-hmm. including the rifled barrel, yep. which was a huge game changer for the colonists. Now, rifling a, a barrel means basically you, you bore the inside in a spiral uh, to where it makes the bullet, the ball, spin, spin when it comes out. That gives it um, more... Accuracy. It's a gyroscopically stabilized, stabilized yeah. at that point. So that was something that the uh, Americans were able to yeah. kind of even up the odds a bit. Again, though, guerrilla warfare did happen in there, and one of the one of the biggest proponents of it was a, a man by the name of Francis the Swamp Fox Marion, fighting in South Carolina. He was a military officer who utilized irregular methods of warfare to fight the British. Right now, when the when the British gained the upper hand or uh, chased. Marion, he'd uh, disappear into the swamp and was thus able to evade them. Like a swamp fox. Like a swamp fox. Probably had some Vienna sausages, some snicker balls back in there. That's all you need. And he has been credited in lineage of uh, the U.S. Army Rangers. Yeah. He's he's somebody you should know, Francis Marion, the swamp fox. Now, uh, you may be familiar with the 2000 film The Patriot, starring Mel Gibson. (laughs) Mel Gibson? This uh, that character was very loosely based on Francis Marion, the dragoon that is his nemesis yep. in the Patriot, is loosely based on a, a real figure as well. But um, super, very loosely, very very loosely, yeah. But that's uh, he employs those guerrilla tactics. He has a ruthless uh, guy on his heels, and he never gets caught. Mm-hmm. So that so that's a little trivia for you, Francis Marion, yeah. kind of the inspiration. And now, now this is something of a theme that I'm going to be developing because it's one of my favorite parts about learning about the Revolutionary War is this belief that the, the, the French technically, quote unquote, helped us. But they didn't actually, in what has become our, our current understanding of French tactical maneuvers, they didn't actually land troops until the war was functionally won. And so they showed up just in time to not really be around for much. But we'd already done it with our American ingenuity and stick to That's the common thought. Yeah, yeah, that's the... Or that's, what's... Which, it doesn't matter because it's completely fatuously erroneous. The, the reason the United States is a, a free and separate country is exclusively French intervention. Mm-hmm. While they didn't, they really didn't land troops till the very end of the war, which they actually had some pretty good reasons for. Took a while. 
you sure, know, to, to, sure. to raise an expeditionary force and send it over. Plus, there was the whole thing about the uh, the strongest navy on earth between them and exactly <laughs> the which, landing spot. Which it, even then they did a, a huge amount of workforce just by tying that navy up. Yeah, just by keeping it occupied. And keep in mind also at this time, scurvy huge problem, and that actually. Uh, kept a huge, a large portion of the British Navy stuck in port. They couldn't find men to put on the boats because of the huge amount of rampant scurvy. <laughs> <laughs> Look at those stupid breeds sitting there. They have no limes. <laughs> I'm too busy drinking my jus d'orange. <laughs> uh, I, I read this great book about scurvy. And there was a little section that was talking about scurvy's contribution to the American Revolution. Oh, How- I know all about that. <laughs> I visited the scurvy statue in D.C. <laughs> Is there a scurvy statue? No. Oh. So not only was uh, was it hard for the British Navy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> The scurvy statue is just a big bleeding teeth. <laughs> it's just, just a puffy gummed guy. Big puffy gum. No, it's just the teeth. Just like the inside <laughs> of a mouth. <laughs> and it just has a brass plaque at the bottom that says "Hero." <laughs> um, so England has a hard time getting enough men <laughs> to manage. There's no way. Sorry, it says Patriot. <laughs> Okay, I'll stop. <laughs> Scurvy. <laughs> <laughs> so not only does England have a hard time finding uh, sailors to, to, to kit out all of its boats, but then every single boat that leaves has to deal with French boats that are also <laughs> patrolling and trying to kick up shit. Yeah. So it's hard for England to even get boats across the Atlantic at this point. Not to mention England, uh, France, while it's not sending soldiers is sending huge amounts of supplies, uh, weapons, yeah. thousands Ammunition. of muskets. And in, it's it's estimated that 90% of the gunpowder the revolutionary forces had came from France. There you 90%. In, and again, this is the same thing that happened in the Seven Years' War, the, the French and Indian War. It's a war by proxy. Yeah, It's, it's France knowing that helping us, you know, hurts England. <laughs> and that's all that matters. That's they, all they care about, and this is and this is also a direct result of sending Benjamin Franklin yeah. over, who was the American ambassador to to France from 1776 to to 1783. Did it wonderfully. Did a great job of it. He was like this this kind of cool celebrity there. And, oh, they loved and, him, and he loved them. <laughs> uh, but they but they send us an inordinate amount of help, both uh, fiscal in terms of materials, weapons. And uh, in the later stages of the war, uh, tactical help in, mm-hmm. in the form of advisors yep. and generals and Which their we own military needed. people. Again, yeah. remember, one of the biggest problems in the Revolutionary War was this over-reliance on militia, on untrained yeah. guys. You just hand a gun and say, well, act like soldiers today. Yeah. And it was this this running problem. Don't get shot. Yeah, yes. Uh, that's the only reason why the Battle of Bunker Hill was important, because it wasn't in a tactical or military or historical sense. Right. The only thing that made it unique is that it was a place where the militia held. For they, a while. For a while. I mean, yeah. they still lost. But every single other militia fight, they would have one volley and they'd just scatter. Yeah. yeah. So this was like one time that the militia acted like soldiers. Yeah, big big psychological boost. And so they needed, uh, I think it was a George Washington said that re- relying on, on the militia was like leaning on a broken staff. 
it's never going to hold anything and it's, it's silly to do so. But there was, it was the only good pool of soldiers they had. Yeah. So over and over and over. Because they, kept, they, they had been supplied to British uh, yeah. guards, Br- British trained uh, units that were fighting for them. Now they're fighting against them. Yeah. So now they've got, so the, the French sending over advisors and tactical expertise was of enormous benefit. Yeah. They, they needed that badly. Uh, names like Lafayette, mm-hmm. Rochambeau. These were these were big names. In fact, uh, Rochambeau was gave, gave Washington some of the most important advice of the war. Towards the end, uh, after the Battle of Trenton, when Washington wanted to keep going, he keep he wanted to uh, uh, keep chasing the British. But uh, Rochambeau was like, no, no, we go south. We go to Yorktown and uh, we kick them in the balls. <laughs> Rochambeau's them. You know, uh, my auction house. Recently, Give me some of your Virginia cigarettes. <laughs> They're so slim. <laughs> um, uh, I work at an auction house, which I think I've mentioned before, and we recently sold a letter written by George Washington during the during the war. Wow, where he was requesting um, additional soldiers and intel on a British base. He wanted to um, uh, lead a, a nighttime assault uh, and clean out this British fort. But they they were like, uh, no. Yeah. And no. And he's like, it's okay. I know what I'm doing. We're going to sneak in at night. And oh, crap, they see us. Run! <laughs> it did not work at all. Uh, but it was this interesting letter where he's requesting intel and soldiers and outlining his plan. Um, they didn't give it to him, but he went and did it anyway. And they completely saw him coming. And he had to just like hoof it through the woods at night to not get killed. Oh, Washington. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about uh, July 4th, the date and the declaration. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be playing volleyball. Here. What are you doing? I'll, I'll, I'll cook out. Nice. Because that's what you do. Mm-hmm. That's what liberal media wants you to do. Oh, man. We're just, we're just held in the thrall of big sausage. <laughs> <laughs> that's what she said. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, uh, June 12th to the 27th of 1776. Thomas Jefferson drafts a Declaration of Independence. Mm-hmm. June 28th, he has redrafted it and uh, reads the second draft to Congress. And they have informal discussions, you know, talking about, hmm, what do you think of it? Mm-hmm. Well, I just didn't like the use of the word independent. Mm. It just makes it seem lonely. I don't know. I think it's good. I think it shows that we have a backbone. But I really just... I just want to get out and make chairs. You crazy sex cultists. <laughs> Frank Sinatra, what are you doing here? <laughs> I came back in time to say you're cuckoo playing. It's all fakakta. Fakakta is not really a word Frank Sinatra would have used, but he would, he'd use it in 1776. Yeah. So uh, July 1st, they have formal discussions about it. A lot was, of dis- a lot of discussion. It was like a pre-release. It was like leaked. Did you hear my air quotes? Just hit the mic stand. So uh, July 2nd, Congress votes to declare independence from Britain. That's a big thing. Big deal. That's that's a big deal here. Uh, July 4th, Congress approves the revised draft of the uh, declaration. And then on July 6th... Took out the no fat chicks clause. (laughs) Uh, The gentleman from Massachusetts (laughs) has the floor. Uh, yeah, uh, just like to uh, bring up that uh, fat bottom chicks uh, make the rockin' world go round. That's all I'm saying, you assholes. I, uh, I am a fan of fat bottom girls, 
and uh, I I oppose any legislation that would limit their access to this uh, country. <laughs> uh, formal discussion is now closed. <laughs> So anyway, uh, July 6th, the declaration is published in the Pennsylvania Evening Post. And uh, that's that's that. That's that's a short timeline of it. By all accounts, July 2nd should be the date that we celebrate, since that's when the vote was made to uh, declare independence. John Adams played a very active role in revising the draft of of the Declaration, uh, so much so that he probably should be up there with Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. It's okay. Everyone remembers how he was really rooting for the British soldiers, so keep him off that thing. Uh, He told his wife, I am apt to believe July 2nd will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the Great Anniversary Festival. Wrong again, Adam. Sorry, sorry, Gianni. Off by two days. Idiot. Uh, now, the signing of the declaration, this is the, the whole famous John Hancock, old, yeah. old Johnny Hanscox, uh, gets in there. <laughs> uh, just just go. <laughs> I'm still telling myself that. Gets in there and, and puts pen to paper. But that stuff doesn't happen until August yeah. and continues uh, through November, actually. Takes them a while. Meanwhile, the the declaration's making its rounds. Yep, people gotta know. So yeah, July second, actually, the day that uh, that probably should be celebrated. But the fourth was already we out there. We respect revisions here in this country. We respect the uh, the editing process, and <laughs> especially uh, in this podcast. Yeah. Oh man, we require it. You know um, what? Maybe that's what we'll do. We'll do a, a podcast someday, and we'll call it call it our live podcast, where we just refuse to edit anything. Wow. Jesus. You're. Never. <laughs> you're gonna hear the you're gonna hear the fridge being opened. Yep, you're gonna hear more beers, you're gonna hear a lot of burping. You look look <laughs> forward to it. A lot of mouth sounds. A lot of mouth sounds. Look forward to it. A lot of sentences that go and that's another I don't wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> a lot a lot of uh, what's all this then? Um Wait, 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 say say that again. Wait, ask, um, me, ask me again that question. I have it now. What's that term? <laughs> <laughs> Man. We'll never do that. that would, <laughs> at first, it seemed like kind of a fun challenge, but you're, it would be the worst podcast on earth. Our already wasn't. blemished images would, yeah. would be ruined. <laughs> ruined! Ruined. Mortimer, ruined! <laughs> Tarnished beyond recognition. So let's talk about the Liberty Bell. Yeah. You ever a, heard of this thing? I think it turns out you, that it's... You heard of the Liberty Bell, Paul? You, you guys, Paul? you guys, you seen this? You, right you seen this? Ha <laughs> ha! <laughs> Uh, it turns out the Liberty Bell never existed, and it was created in 1945 during a uh, a war bond rally to uh, try to get people to give more money during uh, World War II. It was a complete fabrication, and it actually first uh, appeared in an episode of Action Comics with uh, Superman, where he was ringing a bell. He had gone back in time and was ringing a bell to wake up uh, the American colonists to let them know that the British were coming because an evil alien had actually killed Paul Revere in this particular episode. But it was very popular, and so they brought it out during the uh, war bond parades, at which point it was actually unloaded from a truck unsuccessfully, resulting in some damage. Uh, Three people died. They also don't include that. Real quick trivia, though. Superman drove Digger in that comic. Yeah. (laughs) I made all of that up in one breath, and I'm <laughs> proud of myself for it. <laughs> Not a word of it, a truth. No. Not a word. 
Um, now, everybody, calm down. The Liberty Bell is so real. The Liberty Bell is, is real. The story goes it cracked on July 4th, 1776. I died of a broken heart. Actually, cracked around 1752, shortly after it was made and delivered. It died of being poorly manufactured. Was repaired and re-cracked many times after that. Okay. It, uh, not it, not <laughs> it died of uh, failure to re- to correct the problem after multiple service recalls. It wasn't actually called the Liberty Bell. It was called that f***ing bell we keep having to pay good money to fix. Can't we just get a new bell? Until the 19th century, and uh, then by abolitionists. So uh, Liberty Bell is kind of a... Made up. Made, made up uh, I was accidentally right. Do-da, do-da, do-da. <laughs> Now, speaking of uh, another made-up icon, uh, how about Molly Pitcher? Oh, yeah. The cannon, da- the cannon, the lady with the cannons. She's good at shooting them cannons. <laughs> lady with the cannons. Can I say that again, please? No. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Because I like lady with the cannons. All right. <laughs> All right. I'll accept. You know that lady with the huge cannons? Hey, hey here she comes. Hey, Plays with those uh, those cannonballs. You uh, you want to try to heft these balls over here, Molly? I'm gonna get some gonna get some powder residue all <laughs> over you. Oh boy! It's okay, guys. Never real. Yep, we're hurting no one's feelings. She was falsified. Famous for carrying water on the battlefield for colonial soldiers and manning her wounded husband's cannon. But in reality, it's believed to have been the real figure of Mary Hayes Macaulay, but probably uh, never happened because the story didn't really come about until 1876, which was the centennial anniversary of the war. And there was another heroine with a cannon. Around 1813, there was a publication that showed a a woman manning a cannon to fight against, uh, was the Spanish... Yep. It was a French French lady fighting the Spanish with a cannon. Everybody's fighting somebody with a cannon. And so, uh, the centennial, people were in a fervor for uh, yep. Americana. A hundred years of hundred, independence. Hundred years. Uh, so, the story of Molly Pitcher came up, the story of the Liberty Bell, and maybe the story of the first flag that was sewn. What? By one Betsy Ross credited with sewing the first American flag, Mm -hmm. but there's no real evidence that that's true. There's not much evidence that it's not true, but still. It first came about in 1876 by her grandson, William Canby. By her grandson, William, I need to make some money off this Canby. (laughs) William Ross Jr. Jr. (laughs) They're pretty sure that that's probably falsified. Oh, that's disappointing. Sorry, flag enthusiasts. Hey, yeah. Did you know that there were pirates in the Revolutionary War? Gyar? Gyar. In the war, the colonies only had about 31 ships in the Continental Navy. Yep. So what Most they do, of them were lobster trawlers. <laughs> they had rods and they had muskets. They didn't know what to do with one of them. You guess which one. <laughs> Bada boom. Boom. Assholes. A bunch of assholes. Uh, what did they do? Well, they turned to privateers to uh, help them at sea. Uh, and privateers is a really polite way of saying pirates. Now, privateers have been used for hundreds of years at mm-hmm. this point. Um, the Spanish used them. The French used them. The English used them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just a really, it's a way to... To, to legalize piracy, yeah, basically. It's, it's a way to f*** with your neighbors. It's a way to say, well, 
So I don't really feel like making the full war, but we really want all that stuff off those ships. Mm-hmm. So you send out privateers who give a cut back to the state. Right. Or you just send them out and be like, ah, we don't really want what they have. We just don't want them to have it. Yeah. So go out yeah. there and, you know. Or you could be an enterprising young uh, person and pay for your own ship to be yep. a privateer and, and do it for you. Yeah, you're just setting you're yourself investing. up with your own business. And <laughs> and, and your business is uh, gangplanks and pirates. <laughs> and business is good. Yeah, and, and it's great. I mean, privateer sounds way nicer than pirate. Not as cool, but nicer. Nicer, yeah. Privateers of the Caribbean. I would right. not see that. Yeah. You might see it in a dark theater alone. Dead men tell no tales unless you're negotiating your contract with England, of course. Mm-hmm. They were apparently very successful at capturing supplies and scuttling British ships during this time, much more so than the uh, the Continental Navy, anyway. Yep. In 1777, Washington's armies totaled around 11,000 poor souls. There were apparently 11,000 privateers intercepting British shipping in the Atlantic, in the Caribbean, even in the Irish Sea. They're taking the fight to them. Yeah, and that's uh, uh, once again these outside forces that are that are just. I mean, if you take away all of the the outside forces, we would all still be British subjects. Exactly. I mean, there's just there is no American colonists versus the British. <laughs> they just it just just didn't happen that way. We're all in this together, you guys. Yeah, and if it weren't for the help of every single neighbor on the planet. Never would have happened. And even then, even then we almost effed it up all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And the way they did this, and I think the way the war was won, really, as opposed to fighting, it's won with uh, these privateers cutting off shipping lanes. They're crippling the military economically, and they're crippling them from receiving supplies, which is a huge thing that any army has to have. I mean, that that is uh, just as devastating as defeating an army in, in a battle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you if you cut off a supply line, boop. Yeah. It's just uh, slow death. I mean, what part of boop didn't you understand? <laughs> <laughs> About 2,000 commissions and letters of mark were issued uh, around this time. It's a lot, quite a few. Enemy ships were captured, and then the ship and the cargo was sold with the profits split between the privateer investors, uh, the crew, and the government. Mm-hmm. So it's it's also an enterprise for them. They get money from it as well. It's like Amway. <laughs> Notable names in this theater include Silas Talbot, who was holding ranks in the colonial army and navy, and uh, Gustavus Cunningham, the Dunkirk pirate, as he was called, who escaped from prison twice, escaped uh, British prisons. <laughs> Yoink. He's like the St. Patrick of pirates. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, pirates, big part of, of the revolution. You wouldn't even think about it. Yeah, and, and such a, a huge contribution to it. I mean, it's not insignificant that they had to get across the Atlantic to do this. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. And you, you would think without all those those contributions, yeah, it just wouldn't work. And even with all that, even with the, the huge amount of help from the French, you've got privateers working at it. You've got the fact that England is distracted. Because it's got an empire to run. Sure. You know, at the time, the, the entirety of British of the British Army was 96,000 soldiers. They mm-hmm. had deployed between forty and 46,000 of the U.S., which at the time had a population of about 2.6 million people. <laughs> but, I mean, so even if they had taken every soldier they had, they would just about double. I mean, so considering that, they put almost half of their military strength 
across to uh, across to fight phone. this. Yeah. yeah. And so it was a, a really close thing. And even with all these distractions, with all these these things happening, we still really barely Scraped won. The, yeah, yeah, just barely won the war. Uh, for example, while he has a, a terrible reputation now, one of our best generals mm. in the entire war was Benedict Arnold. Yeah, one absolutely. Of the, I mean, he had a, a, a way better record than Washington. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he he at one point deliberately and willfully disobeyed a direct order to continue the fight at Saratoga mm-hmm. and ended up winning, capturing a huge number of British soldiers. And it was a pivotal point in the war because yeah. this this war at Saratoga, there was nothing between this army and New Jersey. They were going to march up the up the entire east coast of the United States. Straight up America's butt. Yep. <laughs> That's actually what they had written in their 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 uh, their log. We shall begin at Saratoga and continue <laughs> through the anus. <laughs> We'll be going up the arse of this country. I only hope my mother remembers me fondly. But no, they was they were there was nothing, and he disobeyed a direct order, managed so, to, to flip the, the the entire thing and win. And also, also instrumental in taking Ticonderoga. Yep, with Ethan Allen, but Ethan Allen is given the credit for that. Yep, a few series of events that Benedict yeah. Arnold really was instrumental, if not uh, the sole proprietor of the success. Yep, he was glossed over. Yeah, or or de- or deliberately the credit was given to someone else, or given to someone else. He got he got shafted regularly. Yeah, and up to and including promotion mm-hmm. militarily. Junior officers being promoted ahead of him. Yep. And not even his seniority was taken into account after that. And he was actually given a a remote garrison, kind of like a giant military middle finger. (laughs) And it was, he felt betrayed. He felt, and and somewhat rightfully so, thus his uh, eventual betrayal (laughs) of the... uh, Continental Army. That's his sudden but inevitable betrayal. <laughs> Curse you. Curse you. Uh, yeah, not not saying that uh, you know he he should be remembered totally fondly after no. when when he was when he finally had enough he was a huge dick right to but everybody keep in mind that in a very real direct sense if not if Benedict Arnold had decided to become a painter we would not have won the Revolutionary War right right For but we would have looked great. Oh man, the ships would his, have been his work with watercolors, top of the line. Oh, amazing! <laughs> Let's talk real quick about the Culper Ring. Yes, this is really, really cool. Now, under the orders of Washington, Major Benjamin Talmadge organized what is known as the Culper Ring, which was a network of spies in New York, Long Island, and Connecticut. They were responsible for sending messages to Washington about uh, the British-occupied New York region at the time. Uh, Washington didn't even know everyone in the Culper Ring. That's how secretive they were. They used coded messages in newspapers and <clears throat> invisible ink. What? Fun. Fun stuff. <laughs> They also used women. Oh, who doesn't? <laughs> Gosh. They used women to their benefit because women would not be suspected since they were not uh, supposed to be involved in politics or military affairs. Good on them. Yeah, that's um, great. The name Culper comes from the code names of two members, Abraham Woodhull and Robert Townsend, who were named Samuel Culper Sr. and Jr. As far as we know. Right. Yeah, so Culper Ring, real fun. You, you hardly ever hear uh, about that. A spy ring in the Revolutionary War, that's pretty yeah. And they actually, the, the women they used, uh, one of them, 
to make it even more cool and James Bondy, she was known as Agent 355. Oh. Mm-hmm. Very mysterious. <laughs> you thought she was a loyalist. <laughs> but she's actually a rebel spy. I had sex with her. <laughs> he bedded her last night. Jesus. <laughs> so there you go, man. Yeah. I hope you guys like that. I, I hope that we didn't uh, get, I mean, we did a lot of research on this, and I hope we didn't get our facts wrong. I mean. It, it's it's entirely possible. There's, there's a there, lot of. There are a few things. I, I'm saying this because I'm personally nervous. Like, there are a few things in the world that I know less about than history. Like, it's just, it's just, I think it's fascinating, but it's just not something I ever really pursued. Yeah. So it's so far out of the stuff that I, I know and understand that it makes me nervous when we do a whole podcast about history. Yeah. So if we're wrong, let us know. We'll, we'll, we'll go in the penalty box. <laughs> You're just so proud of yourself. I mean, there's so much also, I mean, obviously we, we can't cover everything that happens in the Revolutionary War that they don't tell you about. Right. We just try to hit some of the, the highlights that they tell you about, but they're either uh, wrong and they're dumb for it. Yep. Or they're... Right, and they're still wrong. <laughs> what? What? That's right. Wrong. So, um, hope you enjoyed this little yeah. trip down Americana Lane. Yeah, and enjoy <laughs> that. Like, dude, just spit these facts out like crazy at barbecues, please. Do it, yeah, do it like a, one of those snakes... That they that they kick around, uh, so that you don't tread on. <laughs> thanks, thanks, thanks for bringing that around. And yeah, no problem. Make, making some kind of sense. Teamwork. Uh, here's here's a fun fact about that. Benjamin what? Franklin designed that uh, cartoon of the separated snake parts, that, oh, yeah? and it says "Join or Die." You know, uh-huh. because of the superstition that if you uh, cut a snake up and reassemble it before dusk, I think before sunset, that it would uh, uh, live. Yeah. Wow. So there's that. So he was crazy. <laughs> we didn't even say much about Benjamin Franklin, who invented uh, everything. Yeah. We, well, he gets his own podcast, and it doesn't even have to be tied to a holiday. Right. And, and he should. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, uh, inventor of the Monster Truck Rally. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> He's tied the keys to 286,000 volts of electrical fury! Yeah, we'll give him his own thing. You know what he didn't invent what our righteous fucking puns oh ho, ho. that's right oh you go first oh man yeah you do it <laughs> okay i've got one uh there's a movie it's currently in production about benedict arnold a revolutionary general mm-hmm. starring arnold schwarzenegger it's benedict arnold schwarzenegger <laughs> it's called saratoga you're coming with me <laughs> <laughs> see you got to give yourself more credit for, for yeah this stuff yeah see <laughs> i dug down deep and i found it i'm gonna make the terrible pun that that is a real stretch because okay well i mean this is this is on the heels of yours this isn't mine it's, it's uh that movie is called the tory nader from the the tories that were the loyal to the british crown nice i like it's, that it's not nice it's a stretch it's all right stretch. so I, I here's mine. Okay, I've got uh, I've got a juice bar. Okay, it's found a lot in the uh, the New York area mm-hmm. around in there. Um, Easy to find? Uh, no, it's not. It's it's actually it's it's uh, a real secret place oh. where where you can actually go and get get your juice drink. It's called the Pulper Ring. Whoa, Pulper 
Right. And, and does that include 335 secret ingredients? Yeah. <laughs> Different drinks that get, that get mixed up. I'll order the 335, please. It's, it's, for, it's for ladies' health blend. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. I've got... We're doing as well as the, the colonists are doing. Yeah, right boy, now. we could use some outside help. Where's a Frenchman when you need one? <laughs> Mon Dieu! There's another movie that's being made about the Revolutionary War era, about when they were creating uh, and, and editing the Declaration of Independence. Mm-hmm. There was an aide to Mr. Jefferson, who was happily married, but they, they fell in love and then had a, a very powerful erotic affair. It's, the movie's called Continental Congress. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. It sounds like a really terrible rom-com. Yeah, but with like way more boobs. Mm, well. It's probably like like going to be on like Cinemax or something. <laughs> what else you got, Flora? Uh, I have a shop for medical marijuana. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. It's called the Boston Grassacre. <laughs> People died there, dude. <laughs> Who fired first, man? Oh, dude. Although I did just think of, of one more. Okay. I'm going to sneak you a bonus one in. Sneak me a bonus, because I'm not giving you any more. You've gotten more than you deserve. I got some help from the French on this one. Okay. I got a canoe store called Row, Row, Rochambeau. Oh, God. <laughs> well, and, and at this point, let's turn it over to our listeners who are better at it than Please. we are. So much better. Lishna puns are coming! Lishna puns are coming! Oh no! It's Pun Revere! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> and that is how it happened. That's right. That's ex- You were here when <laughs> Pun Revere warned us all. Because after he, uh, he yelled that, he played this sound. <laughs> And was subsequently caught by the British and murdered. <laughs> Poor Pun Revere. Those kids all got away, which was great. Yeah, he saved them all. They're wily. He's a martyr. All right, we've got uh, listener puns from Greg Bach, our the, beloved... The Greg Bach. The Greg Bach. Our beloved Greg Bach. Now, we actually missed this. He sent this to us before, but he sent us two emails, yeah. and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to just techno bitch right now. Okay. Everybody loves everything Google does. If you have any other email extension that's not Gmail, people think that you're an idiot. Me, as a loving Yahoo user, often get judged by my friends. Okay. But I hate this weird thing where you have to, like, it compresses all the different emails together, and you have to, like, click things to expand them. Yeah. So that's how we missed this. Sorry about it. Plus, I was trying to organize, and I threw some contact emails into a a folder all of their own. We're just idiots. Uh, So, uh, Greg... uh, Greg hit us up with some sweet puns. Yeah. So I'm going to kick it off. Do it. This is from uh, from our Ms. Cryptid contest. Oh, cool. Yeah. When conjoined twins of the opposite sex get into a fight and go to their mother to explain their side of the story, the mother will usually respond with, enough of the he, she said. He, she said. He, she The he, she. Yeah. It was my pick. Yeah. See? Points, thanks, thanks, Greg. Points to you, uh, Flora, and to you, Greg. <laughs> this is this is from our Merlin extravaganza. 
Uh, when Midwestern magicians form a team to sweep the ice in friendly competition, look out for the Curlin' Merlins. Ooh. Mm. I want to watch some curling. Man, I still curling don't get is, it. is engaging. It is. Somehow it's, it's, it's somehow It's like elegant bowling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the way they just kind of just lunge, but they never stop lunging. Yeah. And it just carries them it's forward. So graceful. They're like uh, ice deer. Pushing yeah. stones. Wait, what? I was, out of respect for you, just automatically agreeing with you, but what did you just say? They're like gazelles of the Northern Territory. Oh, my God. That ice deer? <laughs> that was ridiculous. You're um, welcome. When they're clearly Arctic pumas. <laughs> All right, and third and most certainly not least uh, from our friend Greg. In some farming communities, there's a special rooster who warns the town folk of bad weather. He caws three times or listens for the caca thrice. Ooh. Yeah. Oidenay. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you, Greg Bach. And uh, Greg. also, uh, I know we've mentioned this before in the podcast. Please listen to Greg Bach's amazing podcast that he does with the very talented Kate Parker. It's called Uniform Snowflakes. Hey. The subtext being, you're not special. Oh. But it is a phenomenal podcast. They're good friends of ours, and they just released, honestly, the most riveting episode. Really? Yeah. It what, was, what number is that? It would be their fifth episode. Oh, okay. It is fascinating. I'm having a hard time, like, even though I've listened to it like three times, I can't poke my finger. It's like they finally you they don't know found what... their stride. Hmm. And they found exactly what, it's, it's just mesmerizing you don't know what it is about the episode i couldn't figure it out i couldn't figure out why i liked it so much okay well i guess that's up to the listener to figure out then Mm -hmm. okay it was an episode that they had me on as a guest because they're really nice you son of a bitch (laughs) you tore my heart out that's right you played it like a banjo at a bluegrass festival that's pretty good though like better than deer eyes yeah way better way better you're back you're back yeah, so they had me on as a guest, which is awesome. And uh, so please listen to that because nice. we had a fun discussion. And um, also, in the future, they also had the very talented Mr. Flora on. Oh, upcoming. it may be the next episode that comes out. I don't know, though. Back-to-back bookends? I don't know. Could be. Well, we'll tell you about it because if there's one thing we don't think you hear enough, it's our voices. That's true. <laughs> but so, uh, uh, even yeah. the episodes that we're not on are awesome. So please listen. It's a lot of fun. Great. You guys, July is going to be fun. Oh, man. We're not going to load it up with, with total uh, American hoopla. No. Because we respect our, our foreign listeners too much to do that. Yeah, and besides, even even Americans are like, eh, we'll take a three-day weekend if you just stop it at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, history is fun, but mystery is funner. Oh, yeah. Well said, Flora. <laughs> well said indeed. So we'll we'll come at you with a few more maybe you know July American themed things yeah. maybe I don't know it's, just, it's so difficult to know it's the future at this point there's so many but, options uh, in the meantime July is gonna be gonna be fun we've got yeah. we've got good stuff cooking you might even say uh, we've got good stuff roasting on a Ooh. stick over a fire nice well baited you, you, on that yeah. hook yeah. And we've got uh, your listener suggestions. We've got those cooking in a pot, maybe on that fire somehow. They're wonderful. Keep them, keep them coming. Yes. We, we love them. And uh, they are going on the list. <laughs> oh, man. And it's great. Like, we're getting suggestions of things we didn't even know about. So we're like, oh, shit, we got we to gotta, we gotta learn about that. Yeah. It's awesome. And yeah. I love it. So thank you for that. We're building a community, you guys. <laughs> 
soon we'll declare ourselves independent of the internet. <laughs> We're going to need the French to help us with that too. Yeah, French, you, you got to help. So, that's why I've turned to piracy. <laughs> but you don't need to pirate this podcast. Nope. Because it's free. I mean, you could. It just seems like more work for you. Yeah. Yeah, well, we don't get, we don't care what you do. Nope. But uh, you can go full free onto iTunes. Yep. And subscribe to us on there, and you can rate us and star us and whatever. Write whatever us you a do. great review. Sure, if you like it, if you got got a minute. Yeah. That's awesome. Go to Facebook. You can like us on there. Yes. Show you us can. some love. Go to YouTube. You can subscribe on there. Do it. Putting putting out some some more stuff. Put your twitters on. Put your twitters on blurry underscore photos. That's yep. where you find us on there. And create a StumbleUpon account. Become the only person who knows how to stumble upon. And then tell us. And then tell us. We've asked this before. No one's helped. Th- thumb us up on, on StumbleUpon or fall down a hole on StumbleUpon and, and yeah. uh, give us give us three potholes. On- Plant an interest seed and then harvest the leaves? Yeah, that's then? that's right. Okay. We don't know. Bit, bit, Bitcoin. Yeah. Bitcoin us on... <laughs> Oh, oh f- it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're <so>. done. <laughs> you know your job. We know ours. Tell tell people about us, though. We love yep. getting out there, and, and they'll love you for it. Yeah, you'll be cool, because you found something that is still very clearly indie. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So for this episode of Blurry Photos, I would tell you that my name is David Flora on July 4th, but I already told you on July 2nd. Oh, nice. And I'm David, the Saratoga Sergeant Stecco. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> got a little, got a Benjamin Franklin, uh, inventor of the Monster Truck Rally. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> He's tied the keys to a 286 horsepower of hole-crushing mound. Hole-crushing mound. <laughs> wait, wait, let me try it again. It's good. <laughs> um, He's tied the keys to 286,000 volts of electrical... Damn it! <laughs> let me try it again. He's tied the keys to 286,000 volts of electrical fury. <laughs> Man, that, was, that was hard for me to get out. <laughs> but I got there. I got you did there. it. You did it.